Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Gay Shannon Burnett, the director of the play A Raisin in the Sun, which will be performed the next two weekends, July 15th through 17th, and July 22nd through 24th at the Playcrafters Barn Theater in Moline. Hi there, Gay. Hello, Carolyn. Thank you for having me today. Well, of course, and A Raisin in the Sun was initially performed on Broadway in 1959 and has since become a theater classic. And it's set in the south side of Chicago at a time when there was enormous racial tension, particularly regarding housing. So let's talk initially about some of the themes that this production explores. Well, I think that the themes for an African-American that it explores is the values that families have. And the whole thing about African-American families, a lot of times, even when there's two parents in the home, women, because they usually outlive men, become the single parent. And so we look at those dynamics. We look at the struggle of Walter Lee being a a young African-American man growing up in Chicago, facing discrimination, and also having not had the opportunities that he feels he deserves and would like to provide differently for his family. So there's a lot of things going on. I was um, particularly struck by the fact that in 1959, when Lorraine Hansberry wrote this, it had the issue of abortions. And of course, abortion was not legal at that time, but that was a particular struggle for an African-American woman, woman and I just think that everything she has written has been very timely. She, Ruth Younger, does not really want to have an abortion, but she doesn't feel that she has a way out with her current economic you know, status, the cramped quarters that they live in, and just not being able to provide for an, another child adequately. So we have a lot of themes that are running you know, running through this play, we have Benita Younger, who is the youngest sister, and she aspires to be more than what her circumstances are allowing her. She wants to be a doctor. She's in college. She wants to experience other things that she feels will make her a a well-rounded human being and just enhance her experience um, as an individual. So, that's <laughs> that's going on too. And Travis, who's just a kid and wants to play, <laughs> we have uh, we have that. Mm-hmm. It's surprising to me too when you think about all the topics that they were covering at that point and addressing. Mm-hmm. And there are so many varied themes in this, but there is this just ongoing resonance with issues that we're confronting today. We've mm-hmm. failed sadly to resolve so many of those. There's also this 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 conflict about black assimilation mm-hmm. into into culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> we have that 
that's something that has been going on for a long time, but it's not just a struggle to assimilate into the American culture and into the majority culture. There's also the struggle that a lot of African Americans, Afrocentrics, don't believe we should have to and that we should be able to keep our identity as African Americans. I mean, we hear a lot about the black black diaspora, and so you have these two conflicting, or I don't know if it's so much conflicting, but different points of view that resonate in this play, but it's been going on for a long time. That That is one of the, the bigger things about assimilation. And I think, um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't feel that as an African-American I should have to assimilate because black people have been here for a very long time, so we're part of the tapestry already. And we should, our culture and the things that we bring to the table and the richness of our music, our, our you know, just our literature, our, our art should already be part and of what is America and should be celebrated as what America is. So mm-hmm. we I really struggle when I, I hear assimilation because I don't want to stop being black to fit in in America. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't have to <laughs> by any means. But it's interesting that Lorraine Hansberry chose to create these two characters, George and Joseph, who personified very different approaches. Uh, and and you'll have to come see the play to see how that turns out because it ultimately really is about the values that we embrace and family love and respect for one another and ultimately making decisions based on what is uplifting for us. So the play um, invites the audience into this the younger family mm-hmm. and uh you know we talked about the fact that they do make very dignified choices at the end is th- is that how you would summarize it ultimately uh i would i i definitely would think that um the choices that especially walter lee makes at the end is they're dignified but they're also his example on how he wants his son to be able to proceed in the world when he grows up. And I think that is a responsibility, not just of a father to a son or a mother to all of her children, but definitely as an African-American male, being able to stand up for yourself and make the choice that's right for your family, even in the face of adversity, because he has created some very adverse circumstances by giving away all of the money and making this terrible mistake. But I, I like the fact that his mother, who seems to understand her children, not always, because kids can surprise you all the time, <laughs> but understands that he has to find his own way at being a man. And even though we see him as a fully grown adult, he's 30 years old or 33. I look at my sons at 33. They still needed a lot of advice. They needed a lot of help. They were still struggling with their identity and their place in the world. So the choice was the only choice that he could make and still, you know, be true to himself Mm -hmm. and his family. 
many people consider this one of the best plays ever written. Mm -hmm. And it certainly changed America, American theater and nudged us or, or pushed us even to move in a new direction. Can, can you talk about the importance of this being the first mm -hmm. Broadway production written by a black woman? Well, uh, I think it's very important. I'm very proud of Lorraine Hansberry for doing that. I, I only wish that she had a longer lifespan because I think the work that she would have done going forward would have been equally as significant as Raisin in the Sun. Um, it's one of my favorites. I, I do think that it is like well-written and it's timeless. Mm -hmm. I, you know... I'm not sure it's the best black play ever written, <laughs> but it's definitely up there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's one of the things I struggle with is that when you have a work like Raisin, a Raisin in the Sun that is so well-crafted and so well-known, a lot of times other things that I feel are equally as important fall by the wayside. And that's one thing that I think, you know, I would like to help address that we get a diversity of, you know, of different dramatic works from African Americans. But like I said, no one can say no to Lorraine Hansberry <laughs> and Raisin in the Sun. It would be hard to do that. It would be a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, James Baldwin, after he saw the original production on Broadway said never before in the history, in the entire history of the American theater has so much of the truth of black people's lives been seen on stage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it clearly resonated with him. And the title is very evocative, A Raisin in the Sun. Mm -hmm. What is Lorraine Hansberry alluding to or referring to here? Um, that, of course, is referring to Langston Hughes's poem, Harlem. But before I get into that, I'd like to point out one one, uh, I think, little caveat that a lot of people miss, that Lorraine Hansberry, James Baldwin were friends. Mm -hmm. And Langston Hughes and Lorraine Hansberry, I don't know how close they were, they all knew each other. That Harlem Renaissance time was so unique, where a lot of these artists were friends, they collaborated, they talked to each other, they performed with each other, you know, they... It was just a time where there was a circle of all of this creative energy, and it just kind of intertwined. So I can see why she would incorporate mm. this into the play, and I don't know the history. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she probably called, say, hey, Langston, can I use your <laughs> use something out of your poem? But um, yes, I, I think it, it was just a perfect poem to kind of tell what she was writing about because it, you know, whatever happens to a dream deferred. And she talks a lot about dreams and she shows us dreams. We, sh we see the dreams of Benita. We see the dreams of Lena Younger for her children. Ruth has her own dreams and Walter has the biggest dreams of them all. <laughs> so uh, that is one of the things that I, I think that she wanted to really illustrate. And I, I'll just read a little bit of this. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? 
Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? So this is one of my favorite poems by uh, Langston Hughes. He's one of my favorite poets. Mm. So <laughs> almost all of his things are, are you know, near and dear to my, my heart. But yes, I, can, I would get inspiration mm-hmm. off of this. And I have taken inspiration from his poems. Yes, it's short and concise, but so aptly summarizes that you know the the disillusionment that we feel the sadness and the anger sometimes when our when our basic rights um, when we're we're failing to achieve our basic rights which we should have um, you know when our hopes aren't about something extravagant mm-hmm. or self-fulfilling they're just basic rights mm-hmm. mm. has producing this play posed any particular challenges to you as a director hmm. well there's always challenges <laughs> as a director. Um, a lot of it has to do with just the, the nuts and bolts of directing actors and, you know, working out different things for the space. Uh, it's challenging at play crafters because of the way they run, you know, their shows. So I, I know a friend of mine, Teresa Moore, she did... Um, the Odd Couple, and that was the first show of the season. So she had full access to the theater the whole time that she was mounting the show. With everyone else, you have to wait till that show ends, the one that's right before you. Then your set designer can get in, and he can uh, start building your sets, and you can start pulling costumes and all of that. And that's really a, a short time, but it's just the way it is, and that's the, the way it works. So that that part is challenging. Uh, we have not been able to get onto the stage yet, and for some of the actors, they need that you know as much time on stage as possible. Mm-hmm because they have more muscle memory and say, oh, if I'm on stage, I can remember my lines, which really makes me nervous as a director. <laughs> but I, I Yeah, but I, I get it because I've acted before. I know that helps a lot. So that would be the biggest challenge. Mm. And I think that on a whole, uh, community theater is not supported in the way that it should be. If it was supported in the way that it should be, uh, we would have better budgets for these shows. And they're struggling, and, you know, I do understand. I struggled all the time and still struggling off and on with Azimbuike. So those type of things are challenging, but it doesn't stop the production, and I think we'll have a beautiful and very rich, you know, show. Mm -hmm. You'd mentioned Azimbuike, and that's the Azimbuike African American Center for the Arts, which you run and, um, you know, and I love kind of the homage that you gave to Playcrafters and the, the fact that you, you know, the importance of supporting local theater because Playcrafters has been performing community theater here in the Quad Cities for almost 100 years now. Mm-hmm. They, they began in 1929, which, which is extraordinary. And, Gay, you know, I'm curious about your personal background and how and when you first became involved in theater. Oh wow! <laughs> can, is there a is there a short answer for that? Yeah, there's a short answer. Uh, <laughs> I've always been involved in theater in high school and college, just all the time. I, I liked acting. I like uh, dance. Um, I love music. I'm not very good at it. And if I could sing, we probably wouldn't be having this interview because I'd be famous. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I would always come home. <laughs> but. Um, 
those that's how you know it all started for me and I like working with young people uh, to really help them with um, with acting and theater and just anything mm -hmm. you seem like such a mentor mm -hmm. to, to me to so many people in this quad, in the quad cities no thank you yeah. I do what I can as much as I can whenever I can and like I said I, I think we have to reinvest in our young people and you know just give them diverse experiences and especially I do a lot in the minority community because I don't feel that um, that some children that don't have access to these things because theater lessons, acting lessons, music lessons, they usually come with a price tag. And if you're from a uh, single family, you know, home and your mom's working, or even if you have both uh, parents in the family, a lot of times both parents have to work to provide for kids. And there's not always a lot of money for those things. So mm -hmm. I work really hard to um, make sure that the things we offer to young people are grant funded so they don't have to pay. <laughs> I stopped saying free because there's no such thing, but at least they don't have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in addition to all the other things that you do, you're getting ready to take on a new theater project just in the early stages mm -hmm. here in the Quad Cities, the Black Theater Ensemble. So what, what are your plans with this? Yeah. Well, I am planning this with my uh, partner in crime, Teresa Moore, because we both love theater. And we just think that, um, that it's just time. There's room for a black theater ensemble. We would like to create a space or a venue for, that has a black stage. Um, we feel that the Lincoln Center in Davenport is the perfect place right now. It doesn't have a full capacity stage, but it's something that we would be able to use and to kind of um, decide, you know, what happens there and, you know, set our own agenda as much as we love Lorraine Hansberry and Raisin in the Sun. I think it's been done a couple of times at Playcrafters, at least once. And there, I, I get it. A lot of people go for the classics because they think that it would bring everyone in, and it does. But we would like to introduce different playwrights that are African-American and, you know, make this a more um, full or diverse experience in African-American plays and theater. Mm -hmm. So that's what, what we're going for, and we'll just see what happens. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see that, too. And the, I can't personally think of a more appropriate venue than the Lincoln Center, which uh, I was very fortunate to see a few weeks ago. It's this, mm -hmm. it's this beautiful, refurnished, rehabilitated, old older school. Mm -hmm. Up on the bluff a little bit, you can peer down to the river. It's between 7th and 8th streets in Davenport and in between Pershing and Iowa mm -hmm. avenues. And um, and there's so much going on there, including your own studio. Yes, my own studio is there, and I feel very, very fortunate to uh, have been able to secure that space. And I, I think that what we do as Azimbuike brings a lot of value to it. But also, I'd like to say... Um, you know, just thank you to the people from TMBC, you know, together making a better community uh, for having the vision to secure that because the African-American community in the Quad Cities 
really needs a place of their own. And I know everyone says, well, you have, you know, the Martin Luther King Center in Rock Island, which is a fabulous facility. However, it is owned by the city, so it's a city entity. We would like to have one where we actually, you know, plot the course and and decide what happens. And they're very uh, congenial. They want this. They want this to be the heart, or at least part of the heartbeat of the black community with the different resources. And it's time that there is something like that there. I know the Martin Luther King Reflection Center is really wonderful, and they're having that MLK Park that will you know, be erected. And that's, too, that's very good. But the thing is, is that um, those things don't have the diversity of venues that we have. We have artists there. We have people that are entrepreneurs. The the little uh, the children's library where we have this wonderful mural that's going up, and that was sponsored by our friends at Quad City Arts <laughs> because we wouldn't have been able to do that without you know that support from. Um, from funders like that. Mm-hmm. So there's so much. They have a business center that they're putting in. I know that Michael Cole is um, part of the YAP, the Youth Advocate Program, so that's down the hall for me. And there's other people I probably have forgotten, and I don't own the boxing. It's down in the basement. And there's there's a lot of things. I think Aubrey Barnes has a studio now, so he'll be doing poetry there. He's the poet. Mm -hmm. He's the poet there. Mm -hmm. So it's becoming the nucleus of our community here. And I, I think we, I can't say it's going to be the same as the Harlem Renaissance, but I, I think the Quad Cities, this is the black renaissance for the Quad Cities. So. Well, and and you, of course, have been an integral part of that, so so yeah. thank you so yeah. much. Oh, and we have our Urban Exposure Film Program. Jonathan yeah. would get me if I didn't mention that. <laughs> and Jonathan Burnett is your son, yes. of course, who runs that. The, the other thing I would say about the beauty of this space is that we it's in it's in Davenport, so we have within the Quad Cities spaces now on both Iowa and Illinois sides of the river, and it's also so perfectly located. So I can envision families wa- and individuals walking from their homes. It's in the midst of a residential area, just as if just as back when when they when their children walked to school, they could walk to the Lincoln Center to see a play or performance, to see an art exhibit, any of the many things that you that you have going on there. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Well, Gay Shannon Burnett, thank you so much for talking today, and best of luck with your upcoming performances. Thank you very much, and again, thank you so much for having me today. Don't miss the chance to see A Raisin in the Sun, the award-winning play by Lorraine Hansberry and directed by Gay Shannon Burnett at the Playcrafters Barn Theater in Moline. Performances will be held the next two weekends, July 15th through 17th and July 22nd through 24th. Tickets and additional information can be obtained at playcrafters.com. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.